A statement from the ACLU of Florida says in part, they are suppressing the right to vote by obstructing access to vote by mail. While the Center for Voter Information says in part, in 2020, Floridians voted in record numbers. We should be building on this success, not enacting new draconian barriers that make it more difficult for people of color and other historically disenfranchised voters to access the ballot box. Yeah, well, it's Florida, you know. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Actually, it's not bad. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. We'll talk about it. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Here I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFC, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. I think that I would be hard-pressed to start today's program, frankly, with any better news than this out here in Los Angeles today. On Sunday and Monday, Los Angeles County the nation's most populous county with more than 10 million people reported no additional deaths, zero from COVID. For two days in a row now, zero COVID deaths here in L.A. County. Now, officials stress that the low numbers could reflect reporting delays that we see sometimes over the weekend, but still zero Reported deaths from COVID? Uh, Given the uh, number of daily deaths was over 200 a day just in January, and that in the past year uh, we have lost nearly 30,000 souls to COVID, even if the counts are an anomaly, I would say that's welcome news. What about you, Desiree Doyen? I would say it is indeed, especially when you realize that L.A. County is a massive, massive, yeah. geographically yeah. massive and population-wise massive county. Yeah. I, I And uh, I, I fully expect 
will find that was all completely wrong, that there's <laughs> a terrible mistake. Well, I hope uh, not. But... I hope not, too. According to county records, the last time there were no daily pandemic deaths recorded in L.A. was March 18, 2020. Mm. At this point, that would be over a full year ago, according to uh, Deadline. That was uh, also the last time there were two consecutive days with zero COVID-related deaths here. But it's not just L.A. County, by the way. All of California is suddenly doing very, very well, it seems. There were only 15 COVID deaths reported statewide on Monday. Really? Out of a state of, what, 38 million people? 40 million 40 people. Million. Yeah, oh, 15 COVID deaths in California. We're doing something right here, it seems. Uh, more good news here in L.A. County itself. As of Saturday, the county's test positivity was the lowest level since the pandemic began. Uh, it is now 0.6 percent. California Governor Gavin Newsom said on Monday, who, by the way, they're trying to get rid of, they're trying to recall why because of his terrible job he's done on COVID. Anyway, Newsom said on Monday the state's numbers of COVID-related hospitalizations is now at an all-time low since the start of the pandemic. Coronavirus patients in California were down from a January peak of nearly 23,000 to just 1,626 on Monday. The county has further eased its COVID-19 health restrictions, for example, allowing indoor playgrounds and arcades to reopen at limited capacity, lifting restrictions on operating hours for bars and breweries and wineries. On Monday, playgrounds at all L.A. Unified Elementary Schools and early education centers have uh, were, were reopened. The easing of the restrictions comes amid con continued concern about the slowing pace, however, of vaccinations in the county. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer again stressed the urgency for people to get inoculated while also continuing to adhere to other health guidelines to prevent a resurgence of the virus locally. Oh, yes, please, please and thank you. She said getting vaccinated in L.A. County is easier, more accessible than ever before. We encourage everyone waiting to get vaccinated to take advantage of the opportunity as soon as possible. She said there continues to be much higher risk of COVID-19 transmissions among unvaccinated people. As more L.A. County residents and workers are vaccinated, the risk of transmission of variants is significantly reduced and we get back to the many activities that we love to do before the pandemic, she said. Yes, please, please do. And hey, um, I, I either ran out of time or just plum forgot during uh, yesterday's broadcast when I was discussing my own experience over the weekend getting a second shot of the Moderna vaccine. I probably forgot since I was still sort of jacked up on the juice, <laughs> had a lot to keep track of. Uh, but I wanted to note, hey, thanks to President Biden, everyone in America is allowed to take a paid day off to get their shots. And and not only that, but as many days off as needed thereafter in order to recover companies. Uh, employers will be compensated with tax credits. That, of course, is thanks to the American Rescue Plan passed with the votes of all Democrats and zero, zero Republicans. So, yeah, no excuses at this point. Go get your shots. The life you save may very well not be your own. 
but it could also be your own. So go get your shots. California has um, one of the best vaccination rates in the nation. And as noted at the top, it does appear to be paying off. Nonetheless, the rate of vaccination both here and across the country has been slowing, as Joe Biden discussed during remarks at the White House on Tuesday. While setting a new vaccination goal to deliver at least one dose to 70 percent of adults by July 4th, he focused on easing access to shots as his administration tackles the vexing problem of winning over reluctant those reluctant to get inoculated, according to AP. The new goal comes as demand for vaccines has dropped off markedly nationwide. The president called for states to make vaccines available on a walk-in basis and will direct many pharmacies to do the same. He said from the White House, you do need to get vaccinated even if your chance of getting seriously ill is low. Why take the risk? It could save your life or the lives of somebody you love. Already more than 56 percent of adult Americans have received one, at least one dose of the covid vaccine. Nearly 105 million are fully vaccinated. Hey, that includes you and me now. Yes, it does. What do you know? Uh, Although we still have to wait two weeks before it's considered fully fully vaccinated. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Or at least fully inoculated. Anyway, the U.S. is currently administering first doses at a rate of a Almost a million a day, but that is half the rate of three weeks ago. Biden said the administration would focus on three areas as it tries to ramp up the pace of vaccinations, specifically adults who need more convincing to take the vaccine, those who have struggled to obtain a shot, and once the FDA gives approval, adolescents aged 12 to 14 Acknowledging the pace is slowing, Biden acknowledged that the inoculation effort was going to be harder when it comes to convincing doubters of the need to get the shot. He said the most effective argument to those people would be to protect those that they love. This is your choice, he said. It's life or death. It's going to be hard. So we're going to keep at it. We're going to keep at it. And uh, and I think the end of the day, most people will be convinced by the fact that their failure to get the vaccine may cause other people to get sick and maybe die. They say the administration is shifting uh, the focus of the government to to a smaller and and mobile vaccination clinics to try to reach harder to reach communities. Biden talked about grocery stores giving discounts to shoppers who come to get vaccinated. Hey, I, I got vaccinated. They didn't give me anything. What am I supposed to? I didn't get anything out of it. What's in it for me? Exactly. <laughs> the head of the FDA's expected authorization of the vaccine for those aged 12 to 15 by early next week. The administration urged states to at, uh, administer at least one dose to those in that age group by July 4th and to work to deliver doses to pediatricians offices and other trusted locations. Uh, Younger people are dramatically uh, lower risk for serious complications from covid, but they have made up a larger and larger share of new cases 
as the majority of U.S. adults have been at least partially vaccinated. The light at the end of the tunnel is growing brighter and brighter, Biden said. Much of this, of course, uh, is uh, thanks to money allocated by the American Rescue Plan, which did, I mention, zero Republicans voted for. And also, speaking of the American Rescue Plan and thanks to Democrats, I hope that those of you who are signed up for the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare have checked your plans this month, whether it's at the website out here in California. It's called Covered California. Uh, other places, the federal exchange, healthcare.gov. Check your plans because guess what? The American Rescue Plan has likely lowered your monthly health care premiums by about $100 or so. Really? Go check it out. Then don't forget to thank a Democrat for that as to what you may wish to tell Republicans who voted against it. I will leave that to you because this is FCC air after all. So I can't say what I'd really like to tell them at this point. But uh, all of, so if all of this keeps up and it all, of course, remains a big if right now, if the American Rescue Plan continues to work with zero votes from Republicans and the American Jobs Plan, Biden's huge two point two five trillion dollar infrastructure, if that bill gets passed, despite Mitch McConnell promising zero Republican votes and then Biden's American Families Plan with one point eight trillion for paid family leave, free preschool community college, expanded monthly child tax credit checks for families and permanent increases to subsidy uh, support for premiums under the Affordable Care Act, as discussed. Well, if this stuff gets done, Republicans are not necessarily going to have as easy a time in 2022 uh, as the out party traditionally does in midterm elections. And Republicans do seem to know that, which is just one of the reasons they continue to adopt newly restrictive voting laws across the country. If you can't win voters with good policies that they actually like, you know, just make it harder for them to vote. That's what they've already done in Iowa and Georgia and elsewhere. And the latest big swing state to see new GOP restrictions on voting is, of course, the great state of Florida. We'll talk about that next with someone who knows how elections work in Florida or don't over the various uh, years in the past 30 or so. He knows about it as well as anyone in the Sunshine State. The great Ion Sancho joins us next to discuss the GOP's latest voter suppression law that has been passed down there. And as you'd expect, it is another doozy. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Fully Vaccinated Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Sunshine, damn you, every day. 
Yes, it do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Shortly after we signed off last week to get our uh, second COVID vaccine shots, GOPers in the great state of Florida followed states like Iowa and Georgia before them in adopting a brand new voting restriction bill, despite Donald Trump spending much of last year arguing that the state of Florida had one of the most secure voting systems in the nation, particularly when it came to mail-in voting, which, of course, he himself used to vote last year. Whether or not he actually has a legal residence for doing so in the state or not. Yes, in 1993, when he purchased Mar-a-Lago and turned it from a residence into a commercial private club, he promised the town nobody would ever have permanent residency there and could stay no longer than a week at a time. But, as we all know, his actual concerns about voter fraud are about as phony as his legal promises are. Our friend Ari Berman of Mother Jones described the new measure in Florida this way. Uh, He writes, in the run-up to the 2020 election, when Donald Trump urged his supporters to ditch mail voting across the country, he made an exception for Florida. Quote, In Florida, the election system is safe and secure, tried and true, Trump tweeted in August of 2020. So in Florida, I encourage all to request a ballot and vote by mail, he said. Trump, in fact, voted by mail in the state, as did GOP Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who cast a mail ballot in six out of seven elections from 2016 to 2020. While they spread lies about widespread voter fraud in in states that Joe Biden won, Republicans cited Florida as a model of election integrity. Dating back to the 2000 election cycle, when the GOP sent absentee ballot request forms to all registered Republicans in the state that year, Florida Republicans have pioneered the use of mail voting, writes Berman. But in 2020, for the first time in state history, Democrats in the state outpaced the GOP when it came to mail voting. Trump still won the Sunshine State by about three percentage points, but the sudden shift in voting patterns seem to have caused Republican politicians to do an about-face on the issue. The new legislation passed last week by Florida's GOP-controlled legislature, which DeSantis had advocated for and has said he will now sign, rolls back access to mail voting. Following the blueprint enacted by Georgia Republicans in March, the centerpiece of the Florida bill severely restricts mail ballot drop boxes, which one and a half million Floridians used in November and which former 30 year Leon County election supervisor Ion Sancho told us on this show back in March as the legislation was being prepared had already been required these drop boxes to have strict oversight by county election officials whenever they were open for use. In addition, According to uh, the new bill, county election supervisors, which is an elected position in the Sunshine State, will now be personally subject to a $25,000 fine if they do not adhere to the legislature's strict rules to the letter, which will further disincentivize election officials from making drop boxes widely available, or at least lawmakers seem to hope. The bill also makes mail ballots harder to obtain by requiring voters to apply for one every election cycle. 
In the past, Berman reports, voters only had to request them once every two election cycles, so every four years, as I understand it. And it adds a new ID requirement to obtain a mail ballot, to obtain the ballot in the first place, whereas previously none was needed. In 2020, 43% of Floridians, that's 4.7 million people, voted by mail. But Democrats counted for 45% of mail voters, compared to just 31% for Republicans. While vote-by-mail use rose across the board from 2016 to 2020, in no small part due to the pandemic, it doubled among black voters. Aha, well, there's your problem right there. Uh, that was the largest increase among any Democrat demographic group. The measure also prohibits actions that could influence those standing in line to vote, which voting rights advocates said will probably discourage nonpartisan groups from offering food or water to voters as they wait to vote for hours under the hot Florida sun. The Florida GOP Senate celebrated all of this by voting for passage of the bill in its chamber last Monday on Confederate Memorial Day in Florida. But now a few Republicans are suggesting they are maybe a little bit worried about what they have wrought. As Washington Post reported over the weekend, even as Democrats and voting rights advocates accuse the proponents of Senate Bill 90 of attempting to suppress the votes of people of color, some Republicans worry their own political fortunes are now in peril as well. Donald Trump attempted to ruin a perfectly safe and trusted method of voting, said one longtime Republican consultant in the state about the bill, which could curtail GOP victories there. The paper notes that, quote, virtually every narrow Republican victor of the past generation, and there have been many, including two of the state's current top office holders, Governor Ron DeSantis and Senator Rick Scott, owe their victory, at least in part, to mail voting. And now some Florida Republicans are reacting with alarm after the GOP-dominated legislature with DeSantis's support passed this far-reaching bill last week. Not only are GOP lawmakers reversing statutes that their own predecessors put in place, but they're also curtailing practice that millions of state Republicans use, despite former President Donald Trump's relentless and baseless claims that it invites fraud, at least in other states where he wasn't personally using it to cast his own vote, of course. The state's Association of County Election Supervisors had opposed this new measure, but the state legislature passed it nonetheless. It marks a sharp reversal for the state GOP, which had invested heavily in absentee voting in the past three decades. Even as recently as 2018, Republicans passed a law requiring requiring a mail drop box at every early voting site in the state. That, however, was before their leader's attack on mail uh, on mail balloting, says our friend Ion Sancho in the report by Washington Post's Amy Gardner. When the coronavirus pandemic struck, election officials across the country began promoting and expanding mail voting to allow voters to cast ballots safely. Trump seized on those changes as part of his long-running effort to shake public confidence in the outcome of the White House race. 
tweeting in all caps, so you know he means it, mail-in voting will lead to massive fraud and abuse. He said that on May 28. It was just one of dozens of such attacks that he unleashed throughout the year. Florida Republicans were aghast at the time, according to several political strategists in the state. It was comical to watch Trump light on fire 20 years of Republican work and tens of millions of Republican investment, said Steve Shale. He's a longtime Democratic consultant in Florida. The GOP sent flyers to Republican voters assuring them that Trump supported absentee voting. Quote, absentee ballots are fine. One flyer read, quoting the beginning of a tweet from the president that blurred out the rest of the tweet, which read, not so with mail-ins, rigged election. Well, in fact, there is no difference between absentee and mail-in voting in Florida. But boy, do I remember that argument being repeated by the uh, MAGA mob during the election. Absentee voting, well, that's fine, but mail-in voting, that's a fraud. The bottom line, as the Post contends, at least some Republicans now are starting to get very nervous about what they have done here and the possibility that it could affect their own voters. In fact, new research by the University of Florida's political science professor Daniel Smith found that the use of mail voting among Republicans is more extensive than GOP voters may recognize. He found that state records showed that little over 18 percent of Florida Republicans who said they did not plan to vote by mail in the fall actually did so in the end. In other words, even among Republican voters who supported Trump and signaled mail vote hesitancy, the desire to vote that way prevailed in the end. And that signals a potential miscalculation by the GOP, according to Smith. He says, make no mistake, Senate Bill 90 targets newly registered and younger voters and African-Americans, as well as Democrats who disproportionately switched to requesting and voting a mail ballot in November due to health concerns. But the GOP leadership has discounted any collateral damage, calculating that the benefit to the party outweighs any harm done to its own party faithful. And of course, where we fall on this topic, preventing any legal voter from casting a vote or making it harder for them to vote for any reason unnecessarily is appalling and should be called out no matter which party's voters end up paying a price for it. It is at its core un-American and appalling, but at this point, un-Americanism seems to be the GOP's top value and the one at which they really seem to excel right now. Joining us now for some insight on all of this is someone who has seen all of this happen over his nearly 30 years as the elected supervisor of elections in Leon County, Florida, which includes the state capital of Tallahassee, at least until his retirement just a few years ago. As cited by the Washington Post, our friend Ion Sancho joins us again today on the broadcast. Welcome back to the show, amigo. Thank you very much, Senor. And you did a very, very good job talking about the Florida legislation. Um, Senate Bill 90, which, by the way, is only half of last year's election size. It's only 48 pages this year. <laughs> okay. They they seem to do this a lot, don't they? You know, as as I uh, I, I frequently remind folks when you are here, uh, you are so well respected by your peers in Florida uh, that you were selected to oversee the eventually aborted highly 
uh, contentious year 2000 statewide presidential election recount between Al Gore and George Bush. But what I had not known until I uh, read what Ari wrote in uh, Mother Jones was that in that very same year, Back in 2000, when a whole lot of gaming of the system and the voting rolls under uh, Jeb Bush, uh, who was the governor at the time, in, in, that, uh, in that same year, Florida Republicans had sent absentee ballot applications to every single registered Republican in the state. The very same thing that Republicans now across the country are trying to make, make it illegal to do. Did that really happen in 2000? Yes, and, and actually that's been a tactic done by the Republican Party, really, uh, on a regular basis since 2000. They send applications out to their regular voters, uh, signing them up to vote by mail. And vote by mail was the preferred political uh, campaign tactic for Republicans until uh, April of uh, 2020. <laughs> What and when and that was when uh, all everything changed because of uh, because of the pandemic because of uh, of Trump. Well, what changed was by because uh, I started writing about this about the same time, and I did a, a, a magazine article in July mm -hmm. of, of 2020. This was his tactic. The ex president did not think he could prevail, and when he was asked early on, and you remember that, are you going to are you going to uh, acknowledge the, you know the the outcome of the election. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I, I'm going to wait. Well, because all along he was not going to lose in his own mind by hook or crook, mm -hmm. and they decided that since the battleground states of of um, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin um, did not allow for the tabulation of vote by mail ballots until. After Election Day, mm -hmm. they were going to declare victory mm -hmm. on Election Night and then contest all of the mail ballots which were counted after Election Day. That was the strategy, which, of course, was upset when um, Fox News uh, declared Arizona mm -hmm. uh, for Biden. And yeah. that upset the apple cart. Yeah. The plan could no longer stand at that. Well, but he went forward with it anyway. I mean, you're right. Everyone saw that coming. And then he, you know, makes his speech on election night that uh, we don't know what happened. I was winning. Everything was fine. And then all of a sudden the numbers started changing for Joe Biden. This must be rigged. I mean, they were, you know, doing this sort of kabuki theater. And I guess his own supporters are gullible enough that they bought it. They, I guess, further bought, that, the, bought the idea that they need to change this voting system in Florida that they had all sung the praises for. When you and I spoke, uh, I think it was about a month and a half ago, Ion, uh, as this uh, new bill was being uh, debated, moving ahead in the, in the GOP-dominated uh, legislature down there, uh, the concern we focused on at the time, as I recall, were these new restrictions that the state wanted to put on the use of drop boxes for absentee ballots, even though you argued they were already extremely secure in Florida. So I'm wondering how many of those restrictions um, that they were considering earlier made it into this final bill that's now been adopted and, and whether uh, that is the worst of your concerns about this particular measure. Well, actually, it's not. It, my, my concerns go to the fact that they've made it more difficult for all citizens to request a vote-by-mail ballot. And you're right. Vote-by-mail ballots have been uh, used in the state of Florida since absentee ballots were abolished in 2002 by the Republican Party. 
and they were abolished because of the success that the Republicans were having using vote by mail to get their elderly supporters to the polls and eke out these close elections that they've been eking out. Let me just clarify, because I'm, I'm confused now, Ian. You say from, what did they actually abolish in 2002? They changed it from you had to have an excuse to vote that way to yes. no excuse uh, absentee voting, essentially? Yes. Okay. yes that's, exact, okay. that's exactly what they did. Prior to 2002, you had to be unavailable or unable to vote in your home precinct ah. on election day. I gotcha. So... So it required an excuse. After 2002, there wasn't a reason necessary to do that. Got it. Anyone could ask for a mail ballot at any time for any reason, even if they were in the city, in the precinct. And it was no excuse balloting is, is, uh, is really the accurate term. No excuse um, vote by mail balloting. We went to that in 2002, and it's remained that way uh, until this bill which now requires that you can no longer pick up the telephone and give them your name and address and your birth date and get a vote-by-mail ballot. Okay, so they changed that in 2002. They made it easier for everyone. Uh, are they still allowed, by the way, under this new bill to send out um, applications, absentee uh, ballot applications to all registered Republicans, all Democrats, or has that now been restricted as well? Well, well as I read the bill, what it prohibits the election official doing is sending out a vote-by-mail ballot unrequested. I, as I read the bill, mm -hmm. the election official can still send out an application to the citizens mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. the, the citizen has to, in fact, uh, respond and then act uh, on their basis, providing the additional information that they didn't have to provide in 2016 or 2018. In addition to your birth date and your name, you're going to have to cough up your Florida voter, uh, your voter uh, driver's license number, mm. um, or your Florida state Florida ID number, or the last four digits of your social security. Uh -huh. um, unless you do it online, uh, on the online portal, which requires all of this information anyway. Okay. So they're making it harder, essentially, to get the ballots in the first place. And I had cut you off when I was asking about what was your greatest concern. You said it wasn't the drop boxes. What What is your greatest concern about the bill? Well, it, it, again, it, it, it's providing um, more hoops to jump through mm -hmm. for a citizen. And the other thing, though, the larger kind of un, unstated thing here mm -hmm. that, quite frankly, is it bothers me the most, not only about Florida or Georgia or Iowa or Arkansas, you name it, it's happening in the Republican-dominated legislatures, is the fact this is an attack on nonpartisan or professional elections administration all across the country. This is, and it's, it, is, it didn't begin in 2020, but 2020 has clearly lit the fuse. Mm -hmm. Scott Walker in, in 2015, for example, attacked the board that the state of Wisconsin used to verify uh, elections, the, mm -hmm. what they call the Election Accountability Board. Mm -hmm. And that was really the first strike it, it, that I can remember relative to this issue. They had a group of judges mm -hmm. that looked at elections questions. Mm -hmm. And after Scott Walker's campaign was in the recall was investigated, the Wisconsin Republican Party in the legislature stripped away and abolished 
yeah. this board completely. Mm-hmm. A substituting a board that was controlled by the legislature. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing here in Georgia, um, and, and, and Iowa, mm-hmm. and, and even in Florida. The, the $25,000 fine is clearly designed to intimidate election officials. Mm. In addition to that, for example, the legislation also takes away the authority from a local supervisor of elections to enter into so-called consent decrees, mm-hmm. the, uh, which, by the way, didn't happen in Florida, but happened in Georgia, mm-hmm. where their Secretary of State Raffensperger entered into consent decree, which, by the way, made their procedures uh, adhere to Florida's procedures, <laughs> the way Florida had been doing elections for some 15 years. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he was doing some radical uh, event that led to Georgia Republicans being ousted. What he was doing was rational, what was good public policy, and that's what is being not understood here. Good public policy, the best practices for elections, are being thrown out by Republican legislatures who are now inserting themselves much more directly into the elections process. Hmm. A reversal of the trend that we saw in the latter half of the 20th century, when citizens demanded fairer elections. Uh, and so this trend, which really has really gone throughout the entire 20th century to try to professionalize and get a higher class of election official uh-huh. that acts on a fair and unpartisan basis, that's, that's what's being attacked in all of these, in all this legislation, yeah. in all this legislation. No, you're right. And it, I think yeah, and that's ahead. what's got me concerned, because... Well, I see the reporters in Iowa writing about what they're doing, mm-hmm. and the reporters in Arkansas. And, and you had um, uh, Amy write an excellent, excellent piece in the Washington Post this weekend. Mm-hmm. They're still really just scratching the surfaces. Hey, folks, do we want our elections to be determined by the political party that's in control, or do we want honest and fair elections divorced from the political uh, environment mm-hmm. that we find ourselves in. And right now, that political partisan environment is trying to take over and essentially take over nonpartisan and professional elections administration all over the country. Yeah, the people I've talked to who are who are most concerned about what's going on, for example, in Georgia, uh, obviously they there are targeting certain voters as well, but the most troubling part they've said over and over is the way that the Georgia legislature has essentially set it up so that uh, they can replace pretty much on a whim bipartisan county elections boards around the country with a single partisan uh, who is essentially an appointee of the uh, Republican-dominated state legislature. And they can do this in the middle of elections, and that single partisan can come in and undermine election uh, uh, processes in the county and even overturn election results. We saw that in Georgia. I guess the version that we're now seeing of this attack on election officials in Florida is this uh, threat of a $25,000 fine, although... I should also note, Ion Sancho, that uh, Florida for some time has allowed the governor essentially to replace, for virtually any reason it seems to me, to replace the elected supervisors of elections in each county. Um, I guess you could have been if, if Jeb Bush or 
uh, Ron DeSantis or whoever uh, or, or, or did not like what you did at in Leon County, they could have uh, just simply fired you and replaced you even before this law. They could have done that. Could they have not done that? Well, the, the election supervisors have been fighting the most uh, heinous of these over the years. And while the governor can suspend, you're still drawing a salary and you can defend yourself in court mm-hmm. in two different directions. Uh, what they've done in Georgia, for example, because the legislature did not make an appointment to the state elections board, mm-hmm. that appointment went to Governor Kemp. So it's even more egregious than just the legislature being in control. The legislature, on purpose in Georgia, did not make an appointee, so Governor Kemp gets the appointee. Mm. And this idea of your of the governor being in charge of the elections process is, is awful. That's what we have here in Florida in 2002, given the horrible job that Secretary of State Catherine Harris did, that that job was eliminated as an elected position. But the Florida legislature had to make a determination on what to replace it with. And I submitted a plan to them to create a a bipartisan elections board. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't do that at all. They made the Secretary of State the partisan appointee of the governor, essentially making the governor the chief election official for the state, which is an inherent conflict since the governor is a political uh, uh, office animal Mm -hmm. and is seeking to run for election. So that's one of the things that I did want to raise. While the big lie is the cover that's being used to pass all of these, uh, as Tip O'Neill went, that all politics are local. Mm -hmm. In fact, it is Governor DeSantis, not the ex-president, which is pushing for these changes in Florida. He's on the ballot, and the fact that a million and a half more citizens have registered to vote by mail as Democrats than Republicans has caused this attack on vote-by-mail balloting. Governor DeSantis is, I will tell you, far sharper than our ex-president. <laughs> but, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, more vile, because he understands what he's doing. I'm not sure the ex-president actually did, yeah. since he just reacts instinctively this is a, a plan that was announced by Governor DeSantis before the legislative session to re- restrict the access of vote-by-mail ballots. And again, you've already hit it. Why? Because a million point five more uh, Democratic voters mm-hmm. use those vote-by-mail drop boxes than Republicans. So, in his mind, something had to be done. What, what do you make? And, of, what do you make of all this hand wringing then in uh, Amy's uh, Amy Gardner's story in the Washington Post about Republicans who are now concerned? They were looking at, you know, maybe building in a carve out uh, for uh, military voters and the elderly when it comes to, uh, you know, the fact that now each year they're going to have to request an absentee ballot. They can't just stay on a on a permanent list for you know t- uh, two or three or four elections in a row. Uh, that now you've got Republicans who are worried that this is actually going to hurt him. Uh, well, I, yeah. I, I think Steve Shale is correct. I think the potential damage to the Republicans is apparent. In fact, up until 2020, the Democratic voters tended to vote more in person. Mm-hmm. That was altered by COVID. Mm-hmm. When the DNC and the state Florida Democratic Party made the decision that they would not endanger the lives of their political volunteers by going door-to-door. So they went to a strictly vote-by-mail 
uh, phone bank mm-hmm. system. And that's what generated this total. Uh, up until 2020, African Americans overwhelmingly like to vote in person before Election Day. Um, so I think within the Democratic voters, there's, there's, a, there's more of a tradition of voting in both ways. And whether 2020 was simply due to COVID um, or a, a more substantive change in how to vote, we don't know. I suspect, for example, that uh, the, the attack on vote by mail will really force more Democrats to vote in person again at early voting sites, um, now, which ha- are also limited to some degree. They put limitations, for example, you they took away all the flexibility from the state supervisor of elections to designate mm-hmm. early voting sites. You have to tell the state a month before the election where these sites are, and they may not be moved. Um, so even if a need pops up, they realize, oh, there's an underserved community, the lines are too long in this place, we should open up an extra facility here. They can't do it if they're in uh, the, the, the one-month window before Election Day? That is correct. They took away that supervisor of elections authority, discretion, and that's this, this continual erosion is, in, uh-huh. my, in, in my view, disgraceful, yeah. disgusting, and un-American. But you know what? It's uh, it's happened, and we have to deal with this. Yeah. Well, and if of course, if if a supervisor of election tries to do it anyway, now they are personally liable for twenty five thousand dollars for such an act under this uh, under this new law. The Post also reports, by the way, that after Obama won Florida in two thousand and eight, largely by encouraging early in person voting among Black voters, GOP lawmakers after that election. Uh, backed by then-Governor Rick Scott, passed legislation to dramatically reduce how many early voting hours that uh, they were allowed to have. So between that and now this, doesn't it sort of establish a pretty clear pattern here, Ion, for uh, civil rights groups to to go to court with, citing how that you know these measures are specifically being put in place to curtail voting by certain minority groups after they use those methods in, in each election? Well, it, it w- I will tell you, it's not going to be coming out of the 11th Circuit, and that's the other part of the thing, because, because in fact, in years past, one could go to federal court and seek redress for the loss of your rights. But this Supreme Court, starting with a series of decisions going all the way back, again, to Wisconsin's pandemic process, they mm-hmm. stripped the way of, they stripped the authority from election officials mm. uh, to act. For example, when the question of the uh, what, what is clearly, in my opinion, an imposition on voters to pay their fines before you vote, a real poll tax mm-hmm. that went up to the Eleventh Circuit, and the Eleventh Circuit voted six to four to say, "Oh no, the state can do this." Yep, and that's. So the 11th Circuit has been taken over completely by uh, Federalists, individuals who, quite frankly, are partisans. This is the most partisan court I've seen in my lifetime, and that goes from the 11th Circuit to the Supreme Court. I don't think that we can have any redress, at least from Florida, Georgia, or Texas, or anyone who uses the 11th Circuit Mm. for any assistance. At all. The redress is going to be voting. Voters have to somehow overcome these obstacles, overcome these hurdles to get in there 
and get it done. And I think people may forget already that uh, back in uh, 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 2018, Governor Ron DeSantis and uh, the state's former governor, now U.S. Senator Rick Scott, they won their elections in 2018 by incredibly narrow margins. So, I mean, every vote here is actually going to count. Uh, let me let me uh, very quickly, Ion, I, I got to get out here. I'm running long, but uh, let me leave us with something maybe slightly more uh, fun to look forward to, you know, sort of as we've been whiplashed from hearing about how wonderful Florida's election system was in 2020 to learning about all of the you know need for these radical changes. Ion, if you were king of Florida and by the way, in my mind, you are. Um, what what changes, if any, might you have liked to have seen actually carried out by state lawmakers uh, for the voting system in the Sunshine State following whatever the heck happened there last year? I would have loved to see them require robust, scientific, valid audits. The state of Florida does not audit its election. They simply rescan the paper on the same scanners that they were originally counted on. So that means that if there were any problem or manipulation of the software, your rescan would give you the same false numbers. No individual pieces of paper are looked at and compared with the actual totals to confirm that the machines really work. That's the number one thing that we lack in Florida. We don't confirm the the, the accuracy of ballots and every state in the country should be doing audits Mm -hmm. faith-based elections continue in florida i would ask you when you're going to run for the uh, for secretary of state there but it's appointed by the governor so i'll just ask you when you'll be announcing uh, your run against uh, ron desantis for next year i'll tell you what i i enjoy writing and giving speeches and saying exactly what i believe without hesitation so i think my run for public office is over at this point um i just i just want to to talk about what we need to do and and hope people will do it well we'll see about that ion i'll I'll keep working on you i know you like your fishing but we we need you we need you somewhere uh taking these folks on ion sancho the uh, longtime former leon county florida supervisor of elections for almost 30 years retired back in 2016 if I'm remembering correctly. Always great speaking with you, Ion. You can find him on the Twitters. Uh, He's got a great Twitter feed, by the way, IonSancho1. That's the number one. Ion, always great uh, speaking with you, my friend. Look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you very much, and uh, take care. Thank you, brother. All right. The Green News Report is next. Desi Doyen, (laughs) you're up. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. 
Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Hey, we uh, we lost a Green News report last week yes, thanks we to did. your president Joe <laughs> Biden and his speech. So I know you got a lot to catch up to uh, catch up with on today's Green News report. There is simply no reason why the blades for wind turbines can't be built in Pittsburgh instead of Beijing. Biden makes history with climate-focused congressional address. Drilling also releases another potent greenhouse gas, methane. New report finds reduction of methane crucial for climate. Plus, Washington state passes landmark cap-and-trade law. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. He wants control of your life. He's going to control how much meat you can eat. Can you imagine that? No, I can't imagine that because it's not true because you're making it up, Kevin McCarthy, and you know you're making it up because it's been debunked days ago, yet you keep saying it. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, you have been delighted for days about this since <laughs> Biden's address. It it was historic, particularly from a climate perspective. Indeed it was. President Joe Biden's address to a joint session of Congress on his 99th day in office late last week was historic. For the first time, man-made climate change was woven throughout a State of the Union or equivalent speech as a core part of economic policy, foreign policy, and job creation. Biden lover. Biden's climate policies depend heavily on Congress passing his $2 trillion American Jobs Plan proposal to rebuild the nation's crumbling infrastructure and shift to clean energy. He characterized it as crucial to stay competitive with China, which is investing twice as much as the U.S. in clean technology. And he pitched it to union members, a key voting bloc, name-checking the IBEW union, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. American Jobs Plan will put engineers and construction workers to work building more energy-efficient buildings and homes. Electrical workers, IBEW members installing 500,000 charging stations along our highways so we can own, so we can own the electric car market. Biden's joint address to Congress could mark a turning point for the U.S. and the world if his climate policies are translated into broad action. Oh, that's a big if. Indeed it is. On Monday, Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell surprised no one in announcing that no <laughs> Republicans will vote for Biden's jobs plan, no matter what is in it, making West Virginia's conservative Democratic Senator Joe Manchin an incredibly powerful figure determining the course of future U.S. climate action. Long may he reign. Meanwhile, the Transportation Department is moving forward, announcing the administration will jumpstart construction of new interstate electric transmission lines to distribute clean energy across the country, avoiding delays and disputes by siding lines along existing federal rights of ways and highways. Do you need special electric lines to transmit 
clean energy versus regular old dirty energy? Yes, you do, because high-voltage transmission lines are way better at carrying energy over really, really long distances. Huh. Who knew? A new report by the American Council on Renewable Energy has identified 22 shovel-ready grid transmission projects across the country that they say would increase wind and solar generation by 50% in the U.S. and create 1.2 million jobs. In other news, Senate Democrats late last week voted to reinstate Obama-era regulations limiting methane emissions from the oil and gas industry using the Congressional Review Act, which allows Congress a short window to rescind regulations passed by a previous administration. Well, that's about time, Democrats. Yes, and it matters, because methane, the principal component in natural gas, is a more potent climate-warming gas than carbon dioxide on shorter timescales, and the oil and gas industry industry is a primary source. The New York Times reports that a new draft study by the United Nations warns that slashing methane emissions is far more important to slowing man-made global warming than previously thought, Hmm. and plugging fossil fuel industry leaks has the biggest potential to slow emissions both efficiently and cheaply. And that is a huge part of the Biden American jobs plan. Exactly. Moving swiftly to cut human-caused methane emissions from the most polluting industries, fossil fuels, landfills, and agriculture could slow the rate of global warming almost immediately Mm. by as much as 30 percent, buying us some time, and overall would avoid about a third of a degree Celsius of global warming by the 2040s. It is maddening that these old drilling platforms are leaking methane. They're not even giving us oil or gas. They're just making the climate worse. And on public lands, they're actually wasting the public's natural gas when they flare it into the atmosphere. Ah, yes, that too. And finally, Washington State's Democratic majority state legislature finally passed a bill to establish a cap-and-trade system to cut the state's carbon emissions. It'll be the second state after California to do so. The system requires polluters to pay for their carbon pollution and will launch in 2023. Make them pay. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Any broadcast that includes both Muddy Waters and Bruce Springsteen <laughs> cannot be all that bad. Exactly. All right. Thank you very much, Desi Doy, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us uh, spinning the classics <laughs> over your public airwaves. Somebody's uh, got to. Exactly. Thanks as well to uh, legendary former Leon County, Florida Supervisor of Elections, Ion Sancho. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.